What's going on, Trail and Ultra Runners? Welcome to another episode of the Coopcast. As always, I'm your host, Coach Jason Coop. And on this episode of the podcast, we have the one, the only, the incomparable, the original Speedgoat Carl Meltzer. For the uninformed, Carl is the winningest 100-mile runner on the face of the planet today and, dare I say, for forever. In each of the last 18 years, he has won a 100-mile race. Just think about that for a second. It's really difficult to get a 100-mile race right, and he has won one, at least one, in each of the last 18 years. And that might be something that we never, ever, ever see again. And we talk about when or if that record actually might come to an end. Is it COVID that actually takes Speed Goat Carl out? Maybe, maybe not. But Carl is so much more than just a runner. He is an icon in the sport. He is one of the originals and he is a race director. I caught up with Carl at his house in Sandy, Utah, just after the Speed Goat 50K, which is one of the most difficult 50Ks on the planet and certainly the most difficult 50K in North America. And we have a wide ranging discussion, starting with what is it like to race direct in the era of COVID? What do we think about virtual races? And what does Carl think about his accomplishments, his many accomplishments that he has had over the years? I had a lot of fun with this conversation. Carl is one of my absolute favorite people to see at the races as a runner or as a spectator, or in this case, as a race director. I hope you all have a lot of fun with this conversation as well. In an effort of full disclosure, there is a little bit of salty language throughout the course of this podcast. It's not a good one for the kids to listen to. You have been forewarned. So without further ado, here is my conversation with the one, the only, Speed Goat, Carl Meltzer. So so the wave start wasn't mandated by the county or anything like that. Well, that's something that you guys did? Yeah. Well, I, you know, no, we couldn't do a mass start. Okay. I think in Utah, the thing is 50 people, the gathering is what's it, the yeah, yeah. yellow or whatever it is, what it is. So we just did 20. We did 20 because um, that just fit. Every 10 minutes we started, 20 people corralled as many people. It was just, we just figured that was right. We did it in an interesting way. You did do it in an interesting way. I couldn't find the pattern. No, there it. was no pattern. I was all in my head. <laughs> so, the very slowest, who I see to the elite slow A and elite slow B wave, went at 5.30 and 5.40. And then the elite wave went at 6.30. The reason the elite wave goes at 6.30 is because the tram ride to the top takes X amount of time. Oh. It's about tram operation and getting people out on the course. And then from there, we went age groups. Which, which which mixed everything. Yeah. Show, which was kind of cool because each, each wave went spread apart instantly. Right. Right? And they had a 10-minute gap. So when I saw runners on the field, when I come down and mark the last six miles, uh, yeah, I mean, runners were 200 yards apart. Every, every runner was 200 right. yards apart. There right. was like no, there was nothing together. So, But who was together. the first wave? The very slowest. And you did that off the ultra sign-up results? Um some of that and then some of it off. I looked at people's results. So, so you're hand tabulating. I was hand tabulating those 40 people. You know what it kind of reminds me of? And you'll you'll remember this race because I know you've done it. It's Coyote Two Moon. Totally. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, of course. That's how 
I mean, that's how Chris did it. And yeah. So I, you know, I looked at all races. I saw some guy ran way too cool in 328. That's pretty fast. But then he does a hard race with any technicality and he runs seven hours for the 50K. It's like, well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's just an idea situation, right? But um, yeah, I just tabulated myself and it didn't take me that long. It took me like an hour. Really? Wow, that's quick. Yeah. For a field of how, how many? 40 people. 40 people. So 220 waves. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It wasn't that bad. And then the rest of it, so it was the slowest the rest people. Of it, I knew the elites. I seated yep. the elites, you know, yep. and then that was pretty easy. I don't go off after China. There were some people that said, I really want to be in the elite field. And then I looked them up and like, they'd have this really good result. Yeah. And I'm like, and we had room, sort of room for it. So like, okay, I did it, you know. Uh, I mean, it was 26 people in the elite field line, not 20, but... Well, we'll come back to the elite yeah. field in a little bit because I want to get your impressions on that because I do think there's some interesting takeaways. But let's let's go over let's go over the rules for the 2020 edition <laughs> right. of Speedgoat. Right. I mean, you're not you're not notorious for like, listen, you got to take care of your own shit. This is trail and right. ultra running. Like, take care of yourself. We're gonna put together killer aid stations. This is different. There are a lot of rules out there. Let's try to encapsulate. Yeah what the what the runners had to abide by well th- we had we had to do you know we had to do wave starts we had to do sanitization of everything in the world um everything had to be clean so i went to a couple different races beforehand i went to bryce i went to squaw peak i heard from the logan peak trail run uh, my wife ran, ran twisted fork 64k two weeks ago yeah. they did wave starts and we just went and watched and i didn't get involved with anybody I just went and watched and what that did is gave me ideas and thoughts about how to do things. You know, at Bryce, they had a pedal for the water. They had this, like, drum pedal you could press down to get water from their buckets. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, huh. Right? It was interesting. Instead of, like, putting Instead your thumb of, on the right. cooler or whatever. Right. So that was cool. But standing there watching everybody do it, you know, one out of four people hit the pedal. Sure. Okay. So – I'm like, well, that's a great idea, but I don't think I'm going to get, even get involved with having to hook that up. So we just had, we just said, we'll serve you. You know, I said to some people, it's like going through the drive-thru yeah. at a restaurant, you yeah. know, or going to a restaurant getting takeout food. I worked in the service industry, um, restaurant industry a long time, and I know how to do that. You know, yeah, yeah. I know how to put gloves on. I know how yeah. to, um, so that for me was kind of easy. You just had to like place things in the right location. So um, people would hit the san- hand sanitizer at the finish line. It was like right there in the middle of the arch, 10 feet when they finished. You know, it was like, hit this first and your time will stop. That was the joke. <laughs> <laughs> we saw two guys die for it. And that was classic. Right? That's awesome. Right? So, um, and everybody complied. There was not one guy or male or female, any runner that complained and bitched about anything. They just like, okay, I get it. And they did it. Huh. So, and then they masked up when they came to the aid stations. I think that was a first. I don't think the other races we saw people have to put a mask on at the aid yeah. stations. But again, that was easy. Um, and you had the borders defined. Mm-hmm. Like I've got this great, I took a, I took a picture mm-hmm. from the Hidden Peak aid station where, you know, it's just a sign. It was almost like one of the signs you'd see at the sign of a marathon, like go right. Joe. Right. But instead it said entering mast area. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and yeah, and that's what Snowbird has all around the resort too. So um, we took that idea and it was just like everyone complied. I mean, we didn't have to really turn spectators out of the way. It wasn't like a typical year we'll let spectators ride the tram at 6.30, 6.45 and 7 in the morning. So on the bigger years of the race, those three trams were packed with right. 90 people each. And there was 200 people on the summit. 
cowbells, cheering, and all that stuff. Might have been a little more complicated with more people, but just got to have the marshals, you know. Yeah. Um, and we, I think we handled it really well. I mean, not one person gave me grief about anything. Um, one guy complained about having to wear a mask, but, you know, there's one out of 100. That's okay. You know, no big deal. Um, he was still a good guy. He was so cool. Uh, everyone had to comply. The hand sanitizer was everywhere. Went through a fair amount of that, you know. And just people had to play masks. And I hate wearing a mask. It's hot. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you have to do it right now. So. Well, and your aid stations are typically at the tops of climbs or towards the mm-hmm. tops of climbs. And right. so you got to think about it like the athletes are climbing up there. Yeah. So they're out of breath the most. It's at the highest, you know, high high peaks of elevation, 10,000 feet right, or whatever. Right. They've been working hard all climbing. They have to like mask up and try to communicate to the volunteers like what's going on <laughs> and things like that. Yeah, we a few people were dying out there when they had to put it on because they were sucking wind coming yeah, over Hidden yeah. Peak. But uh, but again, no complaints. People didn't complain. They just did it. They left. Yeah. They were psyched to take it off when they started running again, and then off they went. And you know what's amazing about the whole thing about all the races now? It's like people seem to go more self-supported. You know, you mentioned yeah. how I like to be do things alone and and not really use that much crew um everyone i think they'll they're going to learn from all this stuff that you can actually do a 50k unsupported you can actually run 100 mile or without crew 100 is different than 50k but you know it doesn't take you don't have to sit down at every aid station you don't, don't provide the chair don't provide miles. the chair nobody sits yeah, in the chair that's right <laughs> that's true um we did have chairs but it was really rare that someone sat down yeah. We had sprayers to spray down the chairs, just like um, just like restaurants are doing, you know. Like I said, I had that experience, so we just did that kind of stuff, and and uh, it wasn't that hard. Uh, RDs that are in locations where races can be held, if they're bailing out, <laughs> I'll leave my mouth shut. Yeah, <laughs> you know, um, it can be done. You just have to take take the precautions and do the right thing. When you were setting this up, I want to try to. I want to try to understand a little bit more about like what you had to go through as a race director to pull the thing off. Well, you know, it's funny that many people believe that I had to do all these special things, all these hoops to run through. Uh, first off, Snowbird is 100% on board. Like they're in the event business, right? They're a ski right. resort. They want the event to happen if it's can be done safely and, and properly. And I know the, the president of Snowbird, Dave Fields, he's a friend of mine from way back of ski days. Um, I know everyone at Snowbird and everyone knows that I can I do it right. I know how to do it. So they trusted me on that. We put together some protocol. They wanted me to do that, which was not a big deal. That took me about an hour to whip that up on a you know little Word document and say, okay, this is what we're going to do. And I learned, again, I learned from some of the other races. And uh, you know, I presented that to them. They're like, yep, looks good. Okay, checked out that box, piece of cake. I talked to the Forest Service. Uh, I have a five-year permit, and this was year four, so that the permit was in place. But I had still had I still needed to talk to them to make sure that right. they were going to say, "Hey, Carl, it's okay. We're not right. going to shut you down three days beforehand." So that confirmation with that conversation came about three weeks before the race. And when I talked to Ben at Forest Service, he was like, "You can do it. You just got to follow the guidelines." Huh. I'm like, "Check off box number two. Yeah. Third box was watershed." Um, there Which just, is really restrictive in Utah usually. It's restrictive in some, it, it's definitely restrictive. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but they they will issue permits if they know you. Like yeah, I've yeah. our first our second year at Speed Goat was a problem with watershed. Now I didn't even know about the watershed permit stuff, and so <laughs> you know the one guy was laying in the water because he had heat stroke or it was he was awfully really hot and. Watershed shows up. Get a guy laying in the creek. <laughs> <They don't laughs> it's not like so that. good. 
So I said, okay, well, you know, they were upset and I don't, and you know, I take all the blame for that yeah, 100%. Yeah. Uh, but I said, when the next year came around, I said, we will take care of that. And we did. We put signs up the fences, had marshals, and, you know, I made everybody say, I won't go in the water, right. which is key. They all remember that silly stuff. And nobody went in the water. Everything was clean. And now, you know, 10 years later, it's, they're like, yeah, you're good. So I don't even, I don't even need a permit from them. So you unless might, they get unless they get porta potties, but that's different. It's a different thing. But so I mean, it sounds like. But that's it. It sounds like all of the, all the permitting hoops that you had to jump through really weren't that many. No, I with me with at Snowbird, it's in front of ski resorts, so there's some easement to property oh, in sure. the back, you know. Yeah. So those things are normal, but uh, I didn't have to go through uh, the health department. Um, okay, because that's. You never do in the first place because you're on Snowbird. It sort of all kind of weaves through Snowbird's permits, yeah, yeah. if that makes any sense. Uh, and so, you know, there were some forms that came up about that, but basically the health, health department wanted my protocol list of what I'm going to do. And, you know, we can provide that, no problem. And then we were worried about health department more than anything. But they were, it's no problem, just follow the guidelines. Huh. You know, um, every county around here is different. And this race is in Salt Lake County and utah county so the other races that did exist which was bryce squaw peak twisted fork they're all different counties in salt lake county which had a little bit of a spike in the covid uh cases and so i was concerned about that but it didn't you know it didn't matter they didn't go to code orange code i think orange which would have been 10 right. people or something it was it's 50 people was the gathering size so we did 20. It, so is it fair to say that you were looking at this from uh if we're allowed to put this on, we're going to put it on. Yeah. Standpoint. Absolutely. I mean, I'm a, I'm the kind of guy that will move forward. I don't like to sit back and wait and ev- to see what every, everybody else does. Um, I'm not trying to push the limits, you know. I just said, you know, we can do it safely. Why can't we do it if we can do it safely? It's just a matter of doing it right. And I think maybe, and I'm not trying to set some standard here, but maybe it'll show other races. If this is still going on next year, which, oh, my God, I hope it's not. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, I was asked, will you have it again next year if it's this situation? I said, we'll do it better. Nice. Right. Because, yeah. I mean, there was a few tiny little things that I saw out yeah. there that, you know, I mean, little tiny things that didn't matter. Um, yeah. I mean, I'll try to do it better. Maybe this will show other race directors that, yeah, maybe, you know, we'll learn from all these earlier racers that started doing it and then they'll learn from it and they'll, then we'll try to have our race. So, like, Run Rabbit Run is trying to happen. Yeah, you know Fred at, over there wants to make the race happen, and he's got really mixed feelings. He's got a bigger field. There's 600 people yeah. in those two races, not 200, and there's a little bit more traveling going on. Um, but he's proactive and wants to try to make it happen if it's okay. And he was here volunteering, so you know Fred. If anything, you maybe learned one little thing about Run Rabbit Run too. Yeah. So hopefully those guys can you know make the effort to put it on. You know, never summer 100K happened. Yeah. That's Colorado, right? And that's not that far from running Steamboat, right? I don't think. Uh, I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, it's it's close. Fairly it's close. close enough. Yeah. Um, and there were other races that happened too. So it's just other races are, they seem to be a little under the radar. Yeah. You know, they like they're keeping it quiet, but um, but it's doable. And I'm the kind of guy that will go forward and do it. Yeah. I, I, I don't think, even want to just sit back. Well, I think a lot of the race directors and like event managers, they... Some of them, even though they could technically pull the races off or the events off, they're choosing not to mm-hmm. because of a whole host of issues. They don't want they don't want people to get sick. 
right? right. They don't want right. their constituents to, you know, fall, fall ill due to COVID. But in, in addition to that, it, the amount of effort that they have to like put into the event has like quadrupled or quintupled and they kind of look at it and go, man, I don't, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Well, it's easy to say, eh, I don't want to do it. And then nobody, nobody's going to give you much grief because it is a safest way to go is to say no. Yeah. Right. right? But right. yeah, no, I totally, I totally understand that races I canceled early when this was going like Westerns, um, broken arrow. I kind of understand those. Yeah. So when that situation was like, we have no idea what's going on. Right, right. So that I, you know, fair, fair case there, but you know, we, we took temperatures of people before the start line. Everybody had their temp checked. So that's like at least another step forward to say nobody's walking in here with 102 degree right. temps. Got it through their speed goat right. because it's my bucket <laughs> list that I came from wherever. Um, everyone was checked. Volunteers were checked. We kicked people out that didn't have that wristband on. Yeah, I saw um, that. I don't know if you yeah, saw some of that. Yeah, but yeah. A couple of people got a little ugly with that. They didn't like it. But I, but I was like, you know, <laughs> this is our rules. Get out. Um, you know, and... The runners all understood it. You know, every time I had to, we had four chairs under a shaded tent at the finish line. And those four chairs, like when Timmy Parr crossed the line and Jesse runs small for the short race across the line, it's fine if they hang out for a few minutes, 20 yeah. minutes. Even if there's no one around, let them hang out. Yeah. You know, they had to, we had to sort of tell them to put their mask on, but they're sucking wind. Give them a chance to breathe <laughs> for a minute. So, you know, we just played the, the distance thing there. We gave them a little shade, but once a few more people came in, it was like, it was very easy to watch people either easily want to gather and shoot the shit. But we just said, hey, you guys, okay, your time's up. And everybody was totally was like, cool, and just moved on. And it felt like a funeral sort of there. Um, it's it weird. Quiet. It's weird. Uh, and even our speaker system. We blew a speaker, so we didn't have good music. Oh, but <laughs> <laughs> usually we have the best music from Jonas. Nobody's got a great playlist. Another casualty Another of Another casualty of COVID. Um, but... But, you know, people were really complying and, uh, you know, you get a couple of people that try to slip over the fence and things yeah, like yeah. that. But we just policed it. And, uh, you know, people don't read. We figured out another thing we wanted at this race is that people don't read signs. They need pictures. <laughs> they need pictures. If you have no runner, you got to put a cross across the runner, you know, the runner guy. Yeah. There you and go. you got to have the biker guy, yeah. biker right, yeah. or runner left. And uh, I think in the future, what's, what's funny about that is that if you go to Europe, it seems like there's more signs and pictures and and things than just actually will read the sign yeah yeah you can say do not enter that doesn't work you need a you need like a a guy with a thing across him yeah right and don't enter this way it's weird um but did you did you accidentally give anybody high fives or fist bumps no 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 i didn't i was gonna get you're totally compliant the whole no, time because totally i've seen was. you at the finish line before no i, I always mean, do you're, always yeah. do no i didn't touch anybody i just like ah, i should hit the sanitizer wow and then i basically gave him that finisher mug and we had a guy handing that to me, and I handed that to them, and then that was pretty much I didn't touch anybody. Wow. There's a few people that wanted a photo with me at the end, and when I did that, I just, you know, I mean, I got close to them, but I had my mask on, and I yeah, just, yeah. you know, didn't give them the big hug thing. Yeah, yeah. So I just, you know, played by the, played by the rules. Wow. <laughs> Everybody understands that, so. So temp checks beforehand. Mm -hmm. You roped off some of the porta-potties. Yeah, so we had three porta-potties. After your temp was checked, only temp-checked people could use those porta-potties. It's like the velvet rope for the porta potties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you're okay. And we only had waves of 20, right? So we had three porta potties there for those people, temp checked. And then we had some more in the parking lot for, you know, when people yeah, showed yeah, up. Yeah. That way, no one's going to get stuck in line at the porta potty. Yeah, right. right? There yeah. was no line at the porta right. There was always an open door. So that made it like easy. Nobody was gathering around the porta potties. So we had all these little precautionary ideas of like how we can slowly move people to the start line and get it going. 
without gathering. So temp checks, you have the next time you do the roped off porta potties, you need a, like a bouncer there, like some big dude yeah. that just like, like I got a some nightclub or something like that. Like <laughs> that that's would be what pretty you funny. Need. Yeah. Uh, Wave starts. Wave starts up 20. Masked entry into the aid stations. Mm -hmm. All of your volunteers had masks on yep. all day. Yep. I should mention. Yep. Everybody's getting handed stuff with tongs. Mm -hmm. Total full service stuff. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I, I'm thinking of anything else. I mean, those were the main points of, you know, what to do. We told people, you know, when you pass another runner, put your mask, you know, put your mask. Yeah, up. Yeah. Not everybody can just go, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, the buff was a little easier, but I mean, you know, when I went down marking the course or to make sure the course was properly marked for the finish, um, I'm, I didn't have my mask on. I was wide open by myself. It's like, but when runners would pass me, I'd step way off the trail and get away yeah, that yeah. distance, you know, and yeah. kind of play that. So we just made sure we did all those little things and, and it really, it worked great. Are you encouraging the runners if anybody, if anybody contracts COVID afterwards to contact you so you can do contact tracing or anything um, like that? That's, that's a good point. I actually did not say that, but I didn't say, I didn't say that. Um, <laughs> another thing left behind on the thing, but I think with everyone being their temp checks, um, if something happens, you know, if say Joe Schmo, whatever, can contact the COVID, um, you know, I guess it would be good if he told us, and then we could try to contact trace people. We thought about doing that at the beginning, where we take their temperature, yeah. have them write their name and their email yeah, down what their temp easy. was. It's not yeah. easy with, yeah. even though we only had fifty, we had fifty bibs left to yeah. give away at race morning. We did one hundred and fifty bibs from my house on Thursday, over a five-hour period. Uh -huh. So those people, what we did is eliminate. Um, more again, more gathering at Snowbird, right. waiting in the parking lot or whatever by coming to my house over a five hour period. And those people just slowly waved in like one at a time. Right in, you know, it was great. Huh. So we got rid of those 150 bibs. On on Friday, we had a, did, did about another 80 bibs at the start line Friday afternoon, very slow moving, nobody's around. And then on the morning of the race, you couldn't check in more than or less than 20 minutes before your start. So you're spacing out. Every, we're trying to space yeah, everything yeah. out like, a, you know, robots go this way, robots go that way. And uh, everyone totally complied. And then it never made all these people waiting in this parking lot yeah, to yeah. go to their little wave, yeah. you know. So I think we did the best thing. I think contact tracing is really hard. Yeah. You know, it's it's a great idea in theory. But who's to say that you didn't go to the grocery store yeah. to get it either? I mean, it's like you don't know. It. You, no one can say, no one can say, even with all the things that happened with, the riots and gatherings in Salt Lake City and other cities, you still can't say you got it from there. Yeah. I mean, you can you can suspect that for sure, but you don't think I don't think you really know that. You know. Well, I'll tell you what. Just I mean, personally, running around on the course, and I went around to a couple of the aid stations. I talked to some of the volunteers there mm -hmm. and things like that. I feel way safer out there. Than I do at the grocery store oh, yeah. or any other place that I ha that I have to go to every week to you know, do, do whatever. I well, need to do. yeah. And, and it's the same thing. Like I play a lot of golf and golf here in Salt Lake was shut down for a couple of weeks where I have a pass. It was shut down for a month yeah, and yeah. a half. And I was like, foursomes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Four guys. That, yeah. Well, you don't have to know each other, but everyone's separate cards. They totally space things out like that too. Yeah. It's like one of those things that can still happen if done properly. Yeah. You know, you can't have big events of course, but um, right. it's, it's stuff. It's doable if you space it out. You just gotta, you just gotta figure out how you can do that properly. Did you have anybody in advance of the race say, I'm out? Like, I don't feel like traveling. I don't want to mm -hmm. come out here. What was the prevalence of that? Yeah, most of our runners were from Utah, Colorado. 
most that drove here, you know, yep. there were some California too, but mostly the people that drove here, um, we had, we started a wait list and I think I was the first person to suggest this to Mark at Gilligan at Alta Shine is let's start a wait list because nobody gets charged any money, right? Mm-hmm. That was, there's no risk. So we had the, we had 180 or 190 people on the wait list. Uh, and when I finally opened it up to go to the start list, you have to accept or decline. So you, you know, I wasn't just taking your money and say, okay, well, let's yeah, run. Yeah. About a hundred people declined, and oh, wow. you know, and a number of those people said, you know, hey, due to COVID, I'd rather not come. And I said, yeah. well, I'll comp you one of the next two years. Done. Cool. You know, so not just next year, but you have another year, especially if you're traveling. Yeah, yeah. You can sort of plan it better. I think people like that a lot, but I respect people that wanted to bail out. You know, yeah. Some of our volunteers, um, we have rooms for all, not all of our volunteers, but our key players, like ten rooms Friday and Saturday night. I get snowbird. Yeah. And a couple of those volunteers didn't want to stay in the room and go out to dinner with us. And that's not because they don't like us. <laughs> they were just like, didn't want to, and that's yeah, fine, yeah. you know? So it's, it wasn't, wasn't that hard to really put off. Pull, uh, that pull was together. another, the volunteer thing was another thing I wanted to get your take on because that's such a huge part of how races operate is mm-hmm. this big volunteer you know, database that, that they can pull from. Did you have any volunteers just say, listen, I don't feel comfortable coming at all. Um, you know, you'd have to ask my wife that more because she handles all the volunteers. But generally speaking, all of my key players. How many volunteers do you have, by the way? Do you know? 60. 60? Okay. 65, maybe. something. I'm guessing somewhere around the ballpark. We had one volunteer who, didn't, who would rather not, didn't want to come. But that's fine. You know, fine. I'm not going to give him grief. And he's yeah. sort of one of the uh, one of the key players. But other than that, all the key players like, were all in. And they told me from the beginning that they were in. Like, there was no... That's well, awesome. What are you going to do, Carl, about this yeah. wall? I'd say, oh, yeah, it's free for all. You know, I'd give them, I'd jokingly say that. Yeah, yeah. And they know I'm joking around. But of course, like we follow these protocols and they're just like, no, we can do it. So they were all, they were all no problem. Wow. Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, That's I'm, unbelievable. I'm sure there were a few that didn't want to do it, but, but Cheryl handles mostly, most of the volunteers that don't work every year are the ones that say, yeah, I didn't want to do it, you know, but the key players were all in. Wow. That's uh, I got a lot of support. Yeah, no, I mean, that that's, that's a big part of the fabric of how these races work. And I think once again, from a race director's perspective, when they're looking at pulling these things off, they have to have that volunteer base to draw from. And if 50% of it evaporates because Mm -hmm. they're nervous about whatever race can't happen. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we were worried a little bit about it, but once I said the key players were in, uh, even if we had to go super skeleton crew, I mean, everybody knows what they're doing. When a week before Speedgoat, I'm not scrambling around, running around with my head cut off, really. I'm, I basically just press the button. Yeah. And then this aid station knows what he's doing. I don't have to tell anybody where to go. We had a meeting like three or four weeks beforehand, of course, you know, and we talked about it a little bit. And it's it's an easy, like, turnkey operation now. It wasn't at the beginning. The beginning was a mess. <laughs> it never is. Oh, God. But, uh... But now it's like, you know, everyone's like, oh, I'll be back next year. That's like our awesome. aid station at Pacific Mine down on the backside, that's yeah. kind of complicated. It's a nasty road getting in there. Yeah. But Craig Wood, who ran that one this year, he's like, I'm, I'm good the next five years. I'm like, all right. Wow. Yeah, it's awesome. Good for you. Yeah. Let's um let's pivot a little bit and talk about the elite field. You've you've always tried to put together a good field here. Mm-hmm. You put up prize money, you bring people in, mm-hmm. and that's not easy. You know, you know how those things manifest. You've got to invite 30 people, and out of those 30, yeah. 15 yeah, show we talked up. about this before, right? Yeah, right. And out of those 15, you know, two of them might have a good race. Yeah. And yeah. then, you know, what's the you know, what's the net result of it? Yeah. This year was different because I, I get the sense in 
working with and then just following a lot of the elite crowd that come, you know, March or April, everybody was just where I'm going to do personal projects this year. I'm not going to worry about the racing scene because we don't know what's going to happen and things like that. But you still tried to orchestrate an elite field. Like what did that look like? Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I didn't go out and contact everybody about it. You know, I certainly, you know how I am. I'll definitely invite elite runners, but I think, uh, I kind of let them just enter. I mean, some, some bailed out. I was hoping Sage would come. Sage didn't come. Michael Sinceri bailed out. I don't know what the reasons were for bailing out. They didn't tell me anything, but, uh, you know, I, I like to get, I definitely told some of the faster girls, like I wanted to get Anna May here and she was doing something else. She didn't mention COVID or anything, but I contact them. I want to see a race, you know, and I want to see someone challenge Walmsley's time, <laughs> which I don't know if it's possible, but except maybe by gym again. But uh, we usually had enough elite field. I think there was stronger elite fields back in, in maybe yeah. 2012, 13, 14, when it was at one time a sky running thing, which was important for international. Obviously, yeah. that wouldn't happen this year, but um, I like to see a good race. It's because I'm competitive, you know. I'm not old and slow now, but <laughs> back in the day, I <laughs> what could see you do race. on this course now? Oh, course record is five hundred eight, right? Five hundred four. Um, I don't know. I, I I would say if I hit seven hours, I'd be ecstatic. <laughs> I'm not kidding. You. I was out mark. So I'm the guy that marks the course. I don't let anyone else mark the course, right? Because I just don't. I don't trust people's field of vision. You know, some guys, they mark the course and they got the ribbons kind of dangles in the tree. It gets stuck in the bushes. You don't see the damn thing. So I do it myself. And I was out there marking the course. I marked from Hidden Peak all the way, the entire backside, basically, back to the tunnel, which is about a 14-mile leg of marking the course. We start from the top of the tram. We can't get a tram till 10.15. So we're basically starting out in the heat of the day, right? Yeah, right. Which was like last Sunday yeah. we did it. It's brutal. It, last Monday we did it. It was brutal. And it took Dave and I... About eight hours, seven, oh, seven hours to seven and a half hours to mark that 14 miles. It's wow. not bad. Two miles an hour yeah, putting yeah. pin flag, you know, yeah. it's a long time out yeah, in the heat. Yeah. And I say to myself, why would anyone want to run this race? <laughs> because <laughs> when you're marking the course, I'm marking the course it's just I'm a like, part of it. <laughs> I'm just nearly dying out there. And I'm like, because it's just hot. And, you know, um, it's. It's just tough, man. I mean, it's, I don't know. It's a hard race. To, to it's a hard race. It's just hard Back race. I mean, seven hours. Back. When I say seven hours, honestly, I, for, for the condition that I'm in right now, because my fault, my spring wasn't very good. I'm not, if I was super fit, 640. Okay. Okay. If I'm that's, super, that's what I wanted to get out I mean, that's, out if, of if I'm super fit, 640, seven, I'd be hard pressed right now. And I think I'd probably be happy with seven and a half. You're at least an hour and a half off the course. Right oh, there. yeah. Oh, at least. God, uh, I mean, just no. Okay. I can't even do photo shoots with those guys because my stride length isn't long enough. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the elite field this year, like it sounds like you're you're more passively trying to get people to yeah, come into yeah, the race. Yeah. Versus you're usually pretty aggressive about yeah. that. I've been I've been more aggressive in the past. Yeah. And I think there's so many races out there too. I understand when other guys want to do certain projects, other different yeah. things. I get it. Um UTMB is always a big focus for a lot of guys. I mean, Tim Tolfton was going to come, but he said he refocused on a different project. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that is, but but whatever. You know, that's cool. Mike Sinceri was coming. There were some other three or four other guys that were quite fast and would have made him. Anyone who breaks six on this course, I say, is yeah. is definitely pretty high-end elite. Um, and Noah Brottingham, the guy who won, he ran 529. He was he, When he finished, he was like, I can't believe I won because I was racing Hayden Hawks. I was racing Anthony Costales. 
um, and, and a number of other guys that are went sub six and Noah just had a good day, you yeah. know, and Hayden didn't really have a good day. Jared Hazen didn't have a good day. Yeah. You know, those guys are like top of the class. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so they were there. Sometimes at the top of the class, you get two guys that drop out, two guys that have a slow day, and it doesn't look like the elite feels yep. that good. But it, they were there. That's <laughs> they the just it, blew up on the speed goat course. That's the way it always happens. Yeah. And the harder yeah. the course is, the more that that gets exposed. Mm -hmm. You have 10 quality people that enter the field. Half of them are going to have a decent yeah. race, so then it's a five-person race. Yeah. And then the course chips away at those yeah. five even more to where yeah. it's like a two- or three-person race yeah. towards the end. Yeah. Every time without yeah. fail, that's yeah. that's what happens in trail and ultra running. It's not a marathon where people mm -hmm. can hang around till 20 or 22 mm -hmm. miles and then see what happens. Yeah, this course is really – it's set up – the way I have it set up, it's – Talk. Mike Mason, a friend of mine, ran, and Mike's Mike's like, yeah, he he got down to Pacific Mine. He got down there. I'm not sure what his time was. It was about three and a half hours. Like, oh, I should be able to get done about seven. And then he turned around and started coming back up the hill. <laughs> <laughs> Mike finished so in eight, Mike finished in eight thirty. <laughs> so it's a demoralizing kind of course that. You leave Pacific and climb 3,000 feet. You drop down. You get about 10 minutes of downhill. Then you're going straight back up the hill exactly. again for 2,000 vert. Well, you have – what's the total vert? For it's, it's about it's about 11.6. Yeah. yeah. I mean, know, that's cramming a lot into 50 kilometers. Yeah, and it's the same as, as vert as hard rock. It's yeah. not quite as high, but yeah. it's uh, but it's tough vert. And the way it's set up, it, it sort of is set up to mentally demoralize you as well. It does. It's it's intimidating. The last ridgeline circuit is when you're at the bottom of that. You look up and you're like, oh, my God, I've got to go up that. And it, it really isn't that long, but it's just intimidating. It's that the intimidation factor. And the last part of the finish of when you, you – okay, the final descent's about six miles. You go down about a mile and a half or something. And then there's these four little really steep bumps. And it does nothing but raise your heart rate and like to pop through your chest, you know. And it's just demoralizing. <laughs> That didn't used to be there. The years earlier years, it wasn't there, but I put that in like four years ago. And it's just another bumper that makes it mentally tough. So do you want to bring that quality of the elite field back that you had a few years ago? I'd love to bring the quality back. You know, um, it, I don't think prize money is going to bring it back. I finally determined and almost understand that prize money doesn't really, unless it's really bigger prize money, that I don't think it matters that much. What's really bigger? I mean, well, I would say you need 10 grand to win at least. Yeah. Then it's like a substantial, okay, 10 grand is 10 grand. Two grand is like, thanks, not bad. Yeah. I paid my trip plus a little more. Um, you know, the first race that had real prize money was Run Rabbit Run, and I won the thing. And that 10, that 11 grand that I won that day was like, wow. You know, I was all doing the calculations in my head when I won on the last <laughs> descent. If I come in second, I'm going to lose $6,000. To me at the time, was huge. But to race for a thousand, difference, difference between 1,000, 2,000, and 1,500, yeah. I mean, it's nice, but right? I mean, is it? No, I get you. I don't think you remember this, but I was pacing my wife at Run Rabbit that mm -hmm. year, who was in the tortoise division. Right. And you went by us right when you passed Dylan. Oh, like right, it all right. happened like right at the same that time. Was I remember I was like, wow, <laughs> Carl's going to go win this thing now. Yeah. And he's going to be really happy because he's going to win I 10 was, grand. I was pretty like, psyched. We knew it. We and knew the master division. I yeah, took that's right. That's right. You got so, a bonus there. Yeah, that was, I mean, that is exciting. It's exciting when you're, when you're in the field to run for money, that's fair, decent amount of money. It's, it's, it's fun. You but know? there's only two races that really does that. Yeah. Broken Arrow was one, you know, Broken Arrow was some, some good prize money. You know, Run Rabbit Run, $70,000 purse. That's, to me, that's real prize money. And uh, what else is there? I mean, other one, anyone who gives, you know, a couple hundred bucks, I mean, it's nice, but it's not, no one's really racing for that money. It's, I don't think so. It's more like just, they're just, it's a nice bonus. So how are you going to get elite runners back if it's not the prize money? 
Uh, try to, I don't know. It, it's a tough question. Try to make it as competitive as possible. Yeah. You know, I mean, people like competition. It's yeah. why they all go to UTMB. They don't offer a massive amount of prize money, but they want competition. If you can say, you know, I, I, I'll comp them, you know, but that doesn't get the elite right. to come. You know, they usually don't pay for it anyway because um, sponsors take care of them. But I just want to want to see a good race, you know. Um, I mean, I could definitely do a little more marketing. I'm not a market. I don't do any marketing. <laughs> I'm like I said before, like I don't proactively go after every single person I know to get in, get in, and get in. Because I can't, I can't provide, you know, the hotel room, everything, the travel accommodations. I don't have a budget for that. There's no way. I don't. I didn't. I mean, I hardly made any money this year. I spend all my money on my volunteers. Right. I, mean, I spent four thousand dollars this week in a snowbird on dinners. You know. Yeah. <laughs> but I'd rather. I'd rather. I. I like that. I enjoy it. So. Yeah. And my and volunteers like it. So. It's a tough. It's tough to get those fast fields, and I think it's the the it's race saturation too. I mean, there's, yeah. I think there's so many races out there right now. Um, even for the elites, it's there's so many options, and there's so many cool courses that in my career now, it's like I'd rather just go run a good course. Doesn't matter about competition, but um, it's it's hard to it's just hard to really start writing your hard work. It's too close to western it's too close to utmp i want to run this other hundred i want to set this fkt yeah and all people disappears and like you said you get 30 to shine up 15 show up five don't show five have a good day it's a three-man race at yeah. the end yeah so it's impossible it's impossible there, there have been some novel this is turning away from spigo for a little bit but i think it's poignant there have been some the attempts over the last few years to try to consolidate those fields mm-hmm. with gold trail series and ultra trail world tour. And mm-hmm. they've kind of gone, I guess the best way would be kind of in fits and starts where they can't really like capture all of that competition in yeah. the way that they were like initially designed. And I don't know what the code is to cracking that, but I'm kind of of your, I'm, I'm, I'm of your same mind where I want to see that code get cracked because it's, I think it's important for the longevity of the sport to have competitive fields yeah. of marquee races. Well, you look at the the, the world marathon majors, right? What, right. right? Some, they don't run all six of them, right? right. There's just too many mar- six marathons in here. Can't do that. Yeah, right. <laughs> Maybe not two or six. Yeah, exactly. But, um, you know, that even that sometimes you don't get all – you don't get everybody in all those fields, you know? Right. I mean, in ultra running, if, if there's no way to get runners to travel all around the world to – pay all their expenses um you're not going to see a series that sky running i you know in the u.s sky running has tried a multiple times yeah. and they failed a couple times and i the races attract a lot of good runners and i and i love it and i was the, the beginning of sky running in the u.s but it just doesn't it people can't travel all around the world and it's competitive it's, it's become a global global sport right you know it, it seemed like for a while uh in the u.s we only knew u.s utmb right. brought Right. The U.S. runners to Europe, and we discovered well, hey, these mountains are a little bigger. <laughs> uh, they're a little Diff- tougher. Just slightly different. Competition's a little it's tougher. Um, and they started learning, but but the travel was expensive. You know, yeah. I mean, you want to jump on a plane to Europe? It's a thousand bucks or more than that. Depends, you know, on the times. But it's expensive for a lot of people, and people have families, they have kids, and you know, I mean, I don't have, I have dogs. <laughs> I can keep them at home. <laughs> But, uh, you know, things change. People have – it's a different topic, I guess, a little bit. But things change, and you just can't – people aren't paid enough, like, pro golfers or, like, right. pro football right. players, whatever, to travel all over the place and do this stuff. It's just – it's tough to have a series. Yep. All right, let's get back to speed go. All right. 
Did you ever think about having a virtual race? No. Not even close. No. Not There's on no your radar. virtual races. What is virtual race? I don't know. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, That's you know. That's not in you know your me. lexicon, virtual Sometimes race I get a little, you know, blah, blah, blah on social media, and I say things I probably shouldn't say about virtual races. You can say whatever races. you want to on this podcast. Right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, at the virtual race, you know, it was – Laz, once again, did something that went off the chart, right? He, his timing was impeccable, Right. 19,000 people signed up to run across Tennessee. Nobody ran across Tennessee. I know. They ran wherever the hell they ran. The hell is that? If you can run X amount of miles, then you get a medal. Well, everybody does that anyway. Make your own medal. I don't know. I, I think the virtual race is silly. I think it's stupid. <laughs> um, the only way you can have, you can't, like Clark Zealand, I think, had, a, had, a, had an idea, which I thought, if you're going to do anything virtual, Clark had the best idea was that you have to run the course. You got to show your track, whatever, if you want to get your time. If you want to pay your your entry fee and, you know, not get the option to roll over and you, you really want that medal, you've got to do it on the exact same track. You can't do it on your treadmill. What what the hell is that? One guy raced Mike Wardian. One guy was on a treadmill. Wardian's running around the block yeah. for like a couple of days, you know? I mean, the guy on the treadmill, but the treadmill, the treadmill like stopped or he like became delirious and like fell off the treadmill or something right i think he forgot to start or he, he like lost track of the time and then didn't start when he was supposed to start no, you don't next. sleep for 60 hours you lose yeah. track of yeah. time no, i mean right totally but mike i mean it's i think that was totally i mean mike warding will run anything and i love the fact that he does that right fact. and and i think it kept him motivated and it's, i think it's awesome um but you can't compare what you do against someone else if you're not at the same venue it just so, doesn't make any sense to me. So not a virtual race. No, fan. not a virtual race fan. I think it's stupid. It's it's interesting because initially when all the virtual races started to started to happen, like people started to gravitate towards it because it was the only game in town. Right, right, right. And now that everybody has a little bit of a taste of it, some people they like that flavor ice cream. They you know they don't have to travel. They can connect with mm -hmm. people virtually, right. and there's some there's just something to it. Other people, like you and your curmudgeon self, yes, yes, it's not your cup of tea. It's <laughs> no. not your flavor of ice cream. Well, I mean, people were also. I think people maybe thought that, oh my god, this is going to go on forever. I'm not going to have anything, right. any goals to shoot for. Yeah, like yeah, we yeah. both coach people, and we both know that when no races are going on, it doesn't make it any easier. You it's know, hard. You, it's hard to to motivate someone to say, okay, let's train for this, and yeah, it might be canceled. Yeah, and then or then it does get canceled. Then train for this, and it might get, and it gets canceled. That's happened with a lot of people. You know. Yeah. A lot of different coaches. It's tough. Um, the virtual race, maybe that inspired some people to to motivate to get out the door. And I think that's great if it did that for them. Got them to, for those people that have a hard time getting out the door and this gave them motivation, hey, more power to you. But, you know. Um, not for you. Not for There's me. There's not going to be a virtual speed goat. No, K. virtual speed goats. Nope. It'd be hard to recreate the train. Yeah, if it's virtually. free, if it's free, what the hell? Yeah, he virtually did speed goat. Good for you. Would you don't break Wamsley's record 505 <laughs> and tell me you beat, beat him virtually. <laughs> uh, that's not happening. Oh, God. Okay, so speaking of speed goat records, you've got this streak going of 100-mile wins. Yeah. Um, this might be the last year, Jason. Um Number one, I had my chance. I won't say I didn't have my chance, right? Yeah. I had my chance this year to do it, and I still would have been kind of like laughing in the back, yep, back door right there saying, <laughs> I got my 100-mile win, got it in January, um, but I didn't. My IT band was jacked after 30 miles of that race. 
I survived 60 of it. And after like hobbling, just like, I just had enough. I'm like, you know, and I, I could have, I mean, if I was, if I was, uh, didn't have that issue, I, I had a chance to pull away with that win, but I've got superior 100 on my list. I'm oh. out of shape. I'm not really out of shape that bad, but if the race is happening, I'm going to go do it nice. and I'm going to see what, and I'm going to, you know, I might, I may drive there cause I love to drive 20 hours at once. It's like running a hundred. Um, but I'm going to go if it happens and I'm going to give it everything I have, but there's certainly no guarantees that the 52 year old legs are going to pull away with that one. Oh, the, the course fits me well cause it's technical. Yeah. That helps me a little bit maybe, but that's the only thing I got in the bank. You're not going to design a virtual race to win. No, I'm not going to run around my yard either. Make some rocky corners and go into the tree over there either and try to get, yeah. No. How many years? It's 18. 18? Yeah, 18 in a row. That's incredible. It's It, it shows some longevity for sure. I mean, you know, in the 2000s, I've always, I was always after the most competitive race. I always ran hard rock, you right. know, as opposed to yeah. like trying to get in Western. I kind of wish I would have run Western when I was sort of faster and at my peak. I just... I gravitated to hard rock because hard rock, I mean, as you know, is like, it's not Western. It's no. quite a bit cooler than Western, I think. Yeah. The course is itself. The race is, Western's awesome. Uh, you know, it got a little less competitive as I got a little older. I still ran fairly decent times my last couple that I won. I just don't have as much competition. But, at the, you know, at the same time, to go back and gravitate to the same race year after year after year is... I see a lot of people do it. I've only run 100. I've run Wasatch 15 times, but they've never gone to the Bear or they've never gone to over yeah, Colorado. Yeah. And at this point, I'd rather go see a different course and go in blind. You know, I went in blind at the, the Cloud Splitter 100, which is a small race, but the, the course was awesome. You know, I'd never been there before, so it was all single track, just about all single track. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was beautiful, you know. So I went and ran a different race by myself. I flew there. I drove there myself. I woke up in the morning and ran 100 miles back in the plane and flew home. <laughs> You know, it was great. I got sick really. Be I got sick before it, so it was kind of a nightmare on that end of things. But I pulled it off. You know, um, it's cool to see different courses at this point. At this point in my career, that's to me that's more fun. And as far as Superior coming up, um, I've never run Superior, so it's always been on the list. Always been on the list. And so whether I do well or not, if it happens, I'm gonna go and just see see what happens. But 18 years it's been in a row that you've won a hundred miler. This is year 19. This would be 19. So this would be 19. How, over the last few years, how important has that streak been to you to keep alive? Um, I think it's dwindling a little bit. I think some people say that's sad. Oh, you, you don't really want to keep winning hundreds. I mean, yeah, sure. It's nobody, everybody likes to win, never gets old, right? Mm. But I mean, my desire to, I think it's not the desire to not race as much, but training is hard. You know, when you get older, you don't, we both know you don't recover as fast. It takes, takes more effort. It's, it's just harder, you know, like marking that course was a nightmare. <laughs> um, it's, it's just different to train as hard as I used to as when I was younger. So the, all streaks must come to an end, you know, um, I'm not saying it's at, at, at an end yet, but, um, and if I go to Superior and I run and I actually enjoy it, <laughs> um, Maybe I'll find something else in the fall to run, you know, if something even happens. Yeah. You know, it's it's not as important to me anymore. I think my focus has changed just a little bit. Um, I, I I have this thing in the back of my head that I, I want to just sort of retire so there's no pressure on me to race. 
But I think what if I do that, if all of a sudden I say, hey, I'm retired, just like Michael Jordan retired. And no, I'm not Michael Jordan. <laughs> but I'm just saying, what if when Michael Jordan retired, he came back, right? Yeah. Right. He went and played baseball. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to go play soccer after my, my career here of running and, do, and then come back to running. But who's to say when I'm fi- I'm 52 now, who's to say when I'm 56, I don't say, hey, I want to go make take another shot at something, you know? Maybe I take a year or two off of not really being super competitive and just kind of doing things that I like to do. And then the fire might turn back, but the fire is not much wood left in the, in the shed. You know what I mean? If that makes any sense. Well, you burnt a lot of that wood on the AT. I, I burnt a little wood on the AT. <laughs> I mean, come on. No, <laughs> Let's right. Let's be honest. Right? I mean, you're out there a few times. Right. And, and I think, you know, when Dave Horton told me, well, you use something like that, something like that, you're never going to be as fast as you used to be. Never. You know, I ran across, a good the, country. Dave I ran across the country. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and, and when I first ran the 18 in 2008, you know, I heard that line from Dave yeah, yeah. and I was, I think I was 41. And I actually, when I finished that, I was like, that's almost when I coined the phrase hundred miles is not that far because after doing 2,200 miles, it was like a hundred miles, like child's play yeah. It's totally child's play. And same after I did the Pony Express where I did that, which is 2010, hundred miles was even easier. And I still had like that relative speed for a hundred mile or anyway to do well made hundreds feel easier. Then I go back in 2014 and I fail at the AT. Um, I didn't start off in very good shape and there was some other issues, but so I fail there. And then in 2016, I do it and I actually get the record. But yeah, I mean, your legs get slower. I mean, it took me five months to recover from the AT in 2016, after 2016, like five months till I said, Hey, I think I'm up to speed, yeah. you know, and that's a long time to say, I, I feel back to normal. Uh, and then, and then after that, I sort of I can run those hundreds, but to run it at really top speed, it's just not it's just not all there like it used to be. Every you know? single one of my athletes that's ever done a big through hike, JMT or mm-hmm. Colorado Trail or whatever has that exact same experience. They go back to running hundred milers and they're like, "This is easy, brah. Like, yeah, like, piece I, of cake. like come on, like, like it takes twenty hours. I'm yeah. out of here. Twenty yeah. whatever, thirty hours, whatever. It's just like it's one day." Try doing that every day for 15 hours for 40 days. That's, it's off the chart. I mean, it's, you, your body, when you do those AT things, your body becomes accustomed to, after, you know, a couple weeks of it, your body becomes accustomed to waking up at 4.30 in the morning and finishing your day, wherever it is. It was, I was full on autopilot. It's, but can your body handle it? That's yeah. the thing is, you know, I had an injury, Jurek had an injury, this girl who's doing it right now, who is doing great, she's come down with some shin injuries, and now she's probably not going to get any records. But um, they hurt, and you have to expect to take a long time. I had a client do the AZT recently, and she did great, you know. But she's coming back is like, I'm like, it's not going to be two weeks. Yeah, you know? exactly. it's going to be like multiple yeah. months before you feel like you're going yeah. to feel better. And, and that's basically what it's been taking. So it's tough. You and I, we both know Scott Jaime pretty well. Mm-hmm. And after he set the Colorado trail record, he doesn't have it any longer, but when he said it, he, I remember him telling me that for months he would drive to like a client's, you know, place of business and like fall asleep in his car. Yeah. <laughs> he'd wake up like an hour or two late. He'd go to the meeting, he'd come back and he'd fall asleep in his yeah. car again. So a lot just, of sleeping going on after yeah, those exactly. things. Yeah. <laughs> you got to recover by sleeping. Well, no shit, but I sleep all day long. I mean, I slept after the, after the AT. I mean, I, you wake up and it's like, it's like you're, 
after I had heart surgery, I guess you walk out of the garage and you come back, oh, I'm tired. Boom, hour nap. <laughs> you know, <laughs> then you get up and do something, hour nap. Yeah, um, I was doing that a lot. I mean, I take enough naps now as it is, you know, <laughs> seriously. Um, but after those long things like that, your body is just so fatigued. You're just you're just kind of a mess. Like even Derek was like, your endocrine system is just a mess for the longest time. But still, you won a 100-miler how long after that? Uh, no, last year, 2019, so... Yeah. And I won two last year. Yeah. I mean, I, they, you know, I, they weren't as fast as they could be, <laughs> but they were still all right. I mean, 19 yeah. hours, I don't care if it's flat, 19 hours ain't bad. Yeah. You know? Um, and then cloud splitter was actually his 24,000 feet of climb and ran 19 hours, you know? So I, it's, I'm, I have that autopilot when I feel good yeah, that yeah. I can, I can hold my autopilot. It's just, I just don't have, don't race in a 50 K cause I'll get crushed. Not speed goat. No, thank you. Mark, I was trying to get in shape this year just to mark the damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, leave it to COVID in 2020 to potentially put that streak to an end. Right. I, I hope it doesn't because yeah. it's been fun following that. Yeah. I mean, I haven't even been ultra running for as long as you've been doing I that. I can do a virtual spe- virtual no, Carl 100. Let's not do that. No. <laughs> I, I don't. Just kidding. <laughs> so There'll be no virtual 100-mile win. That'll go into a little scrutiny. Some, somehow I think, though, that somebody's going to approach you and say, hey, listen, I've got this 100-mile. There's like five people entered. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I'm not, I won't break any names out here, but um, I've, I've also, I, I claim to hold the record for the most hundred mile wins in a current, in a season mm-hmm. being for males and tracing one seven, one year for males. And I won six in 2006, I think it was. And someone has won seven, a guy, has, I'm going to say a guy has won seven. That's correct. But there were 51, 20, 10, five, five, two, and two people in the fields two people i mean you got a 50 50 shot of winning if you walk as slow as possible yeah somebody's gonna go fact check that after well probably and then you know talk to me later but i was like and and even in 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 fair fair to say he's like yeah it's definitely not the same so he's it's not like he's not like he's claiming oh i run seven in a year yes you did well done you know but I mean, I won Wasatch, I won Bear, and they were all fat. Yeah. San Diego, they were all good times. And the fastest race I ran, I came in second, which was Massanutten when the dude beat me there. So that was that was a phenomenal year for me. That was definitely my peak. But uh, you know, I mean, that was that was one of my big claims to fame. And when I first won four, when I beat Eric Clifton's, well, Eric Clifton won four in one year. That's when I was chasing that one year. Um, I've done that multiple times. I don't think in this day and age people are going to do that anymore. I think people focus yeah. on one race or two races, which is fair. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I just I just changed my focus in the early 2000s and said I want to win hundreds. You know. Well, I would make the bet right here, right now, that we'll never see somebody win eight win a hundred mile or eighteen years in a row. No, I, don't, I doubt it. I, I don't think they'll win forty two either. <laughs> yeah, that you know, that's another thing that. too. It's like it's just it's just not that. the focus. You know, you've got to win multiple ones for multiple years yeah. to even come. Browning's like the closest. Yeah, he has like right. twenty two, but he's forty seven. You yeah. know, he's if he was thirty seven or forty, I might even say, hey, you know, but it's it's going to be a tough record to beat. Yeah, I don't I don't think I put I put a lot of money on that. Yeah. If somebody would let me, yeah, that's fair. I appreciate gonna... that. <laughs> is what it is. No, I mean, totally. I mean, you, you, you did a lot of things irrespective of the quote unquote error or whatever that are, that are just simply not going to be touched, you know? Yeah. 
I mean, it's, I, you know, that was my focus. I saved my money in the summer, in the wintertime so I could run in the summer. Right. You know, I lived a, a poor life. <laughs> Not really poor anymore, but um, you live a ski bum life. You just, and you focus on one thing and just do what you enjoy. And that's what I did. I did what I enjoyed instead of worrying about anything else. Or, But now I'm, you know, ready to retire. <laughs> <laughs> What's, so is, it's gone by fast, is, man. Wait, hold on. Is the end, is the end of the hundred mile street going to be like the line of demarcation to when you quote unquote retire? Uh, no, uh, no, no, I don't, maybe, I don't know if I had an answer to that, but uh, I don't want that. I don't, my, one of my buddies a long time ago asked me, he said, Hey, when you're not competitive anymore, are you just going to retire and quit? And I said, and at the time I said, no way, man, I'm just going to keep running. This was 10 years ago. So I'm going to keep running and just keep, you know, going as hard as I can or whatever. But I am at the point now where it's like, it is a little frustrating to not be, to not have the bullseye on my back anymore. You know, in 2000, I had the bullseye on my back. Now there's no bullseye there now. <laughs> nobody's, nobody's in darts, you know, it's like, nobody's really aiming at him. There's a lot of other guys. There's, well, there's tons and slew of other people that are way faster. And I think it's awesome that the sport has progressed to where we're seeing things done that are just like, and I, it was funny, I was yakking yesterday. I said, when I was talking to a, our crew at the breakfast table and someone mentioned Hard Rock in 2001, they're like, no one's ever going to break that record. 2639? <laughs> no way! Is <laughs> there anybody breaking that? And he had 2241 now. Yeah, no, and I'm right. like, it can't be broken. And he just, yeah. you know, um, records are, you know, like the movie says, are made to be broken. And it's like, they will continue to go down because people just, they train harder, they're younger, they're faster. Just like basketball and football players, they're bigger, they're tougher, you know. Um, the refrigerator in football, 300 pounds was massive, right? Yeah, all 350 pounds now. So it's like, it, you know, the world is growing exponentially, like, too fast. <laughs> what do you think the hard rock course record can get taken down to? Well, we just saw Jim do some pretty fast running out there, right? So I've always believed, too, that uh, if you can run so fast for, you know, a 20K race or something like that, why can't you do that for 100 miles? Well, there's a lot of factors involved there, right? right? We all know that. Yep. But I think what we're seeing with Jim is the way he, you know, he's he gets aggressive and goes for it. You know, I think if Killian really races as hard as he really wants to, as hard as he can on hard rock, I think he can go to 21. If Jim got a tail ride in five hours, I used to get there in seven. <laughs> I was leading Jim <laughs> there in five. Why can't it go? If, yeah. you, if he's on a 20-hour pace for 70 miles, why can't that go longer? It's just feeling a nutrition, hitting, it, hitting that fine line of, right in the nose. I mean, you know, if you, if you can push the limit so hard, but if your nutrition can't handle that limit, it's like something's going to break as you're teeter tottering all the time yeah. on the edge, you know, um, 20 so, hours or you're saying 21 hours. I'm going to pin you down on some, on one of these. I think 21, 21. I don't think, I don't think we'll see 20. You don't think you'll see 20. I don't think so. All right. I, you know, I mean, we'll have to come back. Five they, years you know, from there's now. some guy's going to come along with Matt Carpenter was ripping Pike's peak <sighs> apart. That record is still phenomenal. Three sixteen thirty nine. I was there that day. Yeah, I nobody saw might break that. I, that record is phenomenal. And that yeah. is one of the best records in sport. Right. Yeah. Um, but in a hundred mile where there's, there's so much more room for, for time. I mean, it's a hundred miles. It's a twenty-hour race. It's there's time to shave in a lot of places. Yeah. What if Killian didn't sit there and eat that orange for a minute and a half, yeah, or right. you know, a little shit yeah, like yeah. that? Um, Pike's Peak, on the other hand, is like, I mean, Dakota ran down faster than Matt, right? He did. He did. So, but can on you get a up a worse trail too? Right, a worse trail. Right. That's what a lot of people don't realize. Is right. Our trail is in way worse shape now than it was when Matt broke that word. With all due respect to Matt, who I love and admire yeah. a lot, 
he the trail was in much better yeah. shape. It was California single track back yeah. then. It's not yeah. I mean I ran that that year Mark Carpenter did and yeah. it wasn't it wasn't that technical. No. No. I think sub twenty is possible. Yeah, all right, all right. Well, five hundred bucks is all right. all right. We'll put it down. We'll come, we'll come we'll, over the next couple of years. Yeah, I'm saying, right. not we'll over like, the we'll, tire. <laughs> no, when I'm seventy, I could eat five hundred bucks because someone broke it. That's bullshit. We'll have to come up with the rules of this bet later. <laughs> right, right. But yeah, I, t- I mean, we, I think Jim proved that it can be done, though. Actually, because he just threw down enough. He, if he was thirteen twenty at seventy one, then it's you can be fifteen hours at seventy five, which means it's doable. Yeah, you know. And, uh, and, and now people have the marks to go after. That's the other thing right, about these right. records, and especially with uh, what we were talking about earlier with the AT or any of these FKTs, every time a mark gets set, it gives the next person something to shoot for, right. which if you've never been in that situation, it's hard to comprehend how meaningful that actually is, like having this, okay, somebody's actually done this, and yeah. I can go a little bit faster. Right. Like That's a, a big bit, part yeah, of the yeah. progressive curve. I mean, you look at the AT record now is 41 days and I think seven hours and change. Yeah. Now that is insane, right? right. Carell, when he said that, he had didn't have a bad day. Yeah. And it's a different that's subject. Hard. But that's like incredible to not think you didn't have a bad I had a great day for 18 days. And when I was going after it, I was a full I was following Jen Farr's splits who I was trying to break. I was a full day ahead of her. And she didn't even finish all in one big pop. So I was like almost a day and a half ahead of her at that point. Then my shin kind of like the guitar string broke. And I was like, then I was like, bah, you know. Yeah. Um, but she sort of set the bar. At that point, she sort of set the bar. You follow her bar. And then Jurek goes and breaks that. And then, you know, string, string bean comes along and shows how you maximize your efficiency much better. Even though he's self-supported, he, you know, if it's six o'clock at night, instead of like, oh, I'll sleep a little longer in the van, oh, I might as well just walk for three more hours. Right. And so right. that's where, that's where string beam was so awesome because it's more efficient. And then Corel takes the hybrid into the picture and boom, four more days drop off yeah. the record. So it's in anything even in that long, it's like even more efficiency that can break time. Yeah. I think with, especially in ultra running right now, I, and I've harped on this a lot, not only in this podcast, but in a lot of other podcasts. It takes a tremendous amount of performance context to really paint the picture of what's possible. Mm -hmm. It's not just one or two great times or even five years or sometimes even a decade Mm -hmm. of like performances. It's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people like we've had at Western States or that we've had starting to see actually at UTMB. To say, okay, these this is kind of what this is kind of what what is possible. Even Hard Rock kind of has that problem because they're field sizes are so right, small every right, year right. that there's not enough competitive depth year after year after year to right. paint this picture of what's possible. Yeah. Could you imagine if Hard Rock had 50 of the fastest guys in the world go after that course? Every year. Every year. Yeah. Like UTMB kind yeah, of does. Exactly. Um, yeah. There's no reason that that, you know, you'd yep. get 25 guys under 30 hours. Yep. And, you know, when I broke that record, it was like there was one guy under 30 hours. And now yeah, it's like right. you have 25 guys in one year under it. Hard that will never happen in hard rock. We know that that won't happen unless you know someone makes another hard rock on a different date. <laughs> I was I was talking to uh, Blake, the elite hard rock. I know? was talking to Blake Wood the other day about this. So Blake Wood's a total badass, yeah. former hard rock winner, Nolan's finisher, Barkley finisher, and um, uh, we were talking about the year that he won hard rock, and he said, "Do you know what?" place my time is on the all-time hard rock list right now do you just take a guess uh, okay i know what he ran because he passed me coming it down was like 30 hours I, like just just yeah it was 30 10 yeah 
Yeah. He, but what, he passed what? me coming up Buffalo Boy, Buffalo Boy, and I was like, ah, <laughs> and then I dropped. But um, so he ran 30-10. So I'm going to say he's 57th. No, you're not even close. It's over 100. It's like 100. It's like 130 or something oh like that. God. And his, his remark, you'll love this, Carl. This is hilarious. His remark was is every year. There's like 10 more people that pass him on right. the list. Yeah, no, I should have thought about, yeah. So right. you just work the math out. How, right. how long right. has it been since he won, right? And that was 2000. That was actually 1999. Yeah. I right. know the year because he, yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. my point with that is, is, is like, it just takes a tremendous amount of time for that picture of performance context to be painted. And you and I both remember when the hard rock course record for the men got was under 24 hours. Everybody mm -hmm. thought that was unbreakable. Right, right. And now you fast forward just a few years and it's like, well, you know, that's somebody's going to be four hours faster than that pretty yeah. soon. You watch, you yeah. watch. Someone will just all of a sudden boom and we'll nail it. And, and you know, there'll be everybody else to be sitting in the gym just like, just like they were when I broke the record <laughs> 26 hours. I'm like, where is it all the yeah. cameras? Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. that'll happen. I mean, and that was that was pretty classic. Um Got all these memories, you know. It'll be in the book one of these days. Um, <laughs> Is there going to be a Carl book? Oh, there's. Please let there be a Carl. Oh, book. I know, but it's going to be. Car it needs to be a Carl book of stories of just like the funny stuff that happened, and all of my life. Um, I've. I mean, I have a book written right now. It's just not exactly what I want yet. About your life. Well, just about. What's well, it's kind of a. It's not just about. I ran this race, then I ran this race, then I ran mm -hmm. that race. It's I don't want it to be a chronological order of like what I did. I want some people to understand like sort of like what's in my head, oh. which I'm not so sure what's in there sometimes, but um, just my vision on some things, why I'm a little sarcastic sometimes, you know, why, you know, why you should just do what you want to do and not listen to others. <laughs> why When's do you this book going to come out, man? I don't know, man. I'm still working on it. I'm not a writer. That's the problem. I just like it. I have a very short attention span. I'm very detailed with some things that I do, um, but at the same time, my attention span is really short, and I lose interest in things if I don't really enjoy it that much. So it's really been really hard for me to to put it together and to be pleased with what's there. And I don't want to put something on the market that's not a hundred percent like authentic, and that's the hardest thing because it's easy to not easy, but it's throw something out to the mainstream and it's, you can just write this book and say, oh, I got a book. I'm going to sell, you know, yeah, 300,000 yeah. copies. I don't want that book that someone says, eh, it was all right. I want someone to say that was fucking hilarious <laughs> or that was freaking hilarious. I just want, um, this guy lived a life that like, wow, everything has fallen into my lap, Jason, from moving to Utah to be a ski bum, to becoming a runner, to, to winning Wasatch, to, to my wife, to breaking some records, to, um, to owning my house, to finding a piece of land in Ridgeway recently, to you know, all kinds of things have fallen into my lap. Random, random crap. And I've just learned to jump on things when I felt right. And that's what I did. And the speed goes too. I mean, with all due respect, 60% of the field was wearing them this weekend. Dude, I love those shoes. Uh, they're great. You know, and I'm that fell into my lap. Too. Yeah, yeah. That fell into my lap in a certain way where I, you know, in the 90s, I was like, wouldn't it be cool if you had a shoe named after you? It's like I mean, Michael you know, Jordan. We're just driving home, seeing a jackrabbit running the crossroads, speed goat. And wouldn't that be cool? That's a great name for a shoe. You know, you bring it up to companies, they're like, oh, yeah, good idea, Carl. And then and now, yeah. right, it's like a freaking phenomenon. And, I, and I, every day I go running, whether it's in the Wasatch, I mean, more localized here, you know, but I see him everywhere. And I'm just like, 
I, I don't even know what to say. You know, it's, it's pretty, it's cool. I mean, is that more meaningful than the 1800 mile wins in a row? I think it's a cool piece of my legacy to say, I got a shoe. Yeah. Michael Jordan has a shoe, yeah. right? I ain't no Michael Jordan. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but, uh, no, <laughs> but, but, Carl, right? but, uh, but no, but not many people can say that, you know, uh, you know, when, the president of Hoka, Jim Van Dyne, he said, yeah, let's do this project of putting a shoe together with that name on it. Um, I never really expected them to say, yes, let's do it. But they did it. And and now it's like it's like an honor, you know. It's I, really cool to see people, even people that aren't even runners, they're out hiking around, yeah. they're wearing them, you know. That's like the running store is their most popular shoe. Wasatch Running Center is their most popular shoe. It's like, wow. <laughs> I don't think people appreciate how big of a risk that is for a shoe company. Yeah, totally. It's huge. I mean, it's when, you know, say, hey, I've got this name Speedgoat and I've sort of, I kind of bought this trademark and I bought, you have this trademark stuff and is it really going to pan out? Is it really going to be worth it? And yeah, they took a risk when they did that. And, you know, the first version wasn't really all that great. And I, I, that's the truth. That's what I feel. And then we changed it. It was totally different on version two. And then all of a sudden it's like, this shoe actually works. And, you know, a lot of that shoe, a lot of the input came from me initially. And just basically, mostly the tread and the amount of padding and um, cushion and stuff. Um, but I'm not a shoe designer. I had to work with those guys just to learn how to <laughs> make that easy. stuff. I don't know how to do it's that stuff, easy. you know. I just had ideas. Yeah. And they thought the idea was right. And I was in the right position sort of. This shoe was sort of a, was at the time was sort of the the one of three trail shoes that wasn't that category wasn't filled yet, sort of uh, for Hoka anyway. So it was like, oh, this is a good category. Get this the hard tough mountain yeah. racing shoe, and it was like it was sort of a no brainer to get that category category going. Yeah, and then yeah. just why not attach this guy's name to it? I mean, it's not it's not it's not the Meltzer. You know, it's the speed goat. They could dump me and say it's a speed goat. Then that would be a problem. But, yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's a good name no matter what. And uh, it's just funny that it all came about, you know, 25 years later after just yakking about it with my buddies. Yeah, it's that is important to me, I think, to say that I have a shoe. The 18, 18 years is is big. I think the 42 to me is, is bigger. Hmm. Um, but, you know, that's just my opinion. Let's get back to the book. Because I did not know this before I came over to your house today. <laughs> What's it going to take to get the book out? Because I got people. Yeah, you got people. I got people, I know, man. I, I'll, I'll, I, need, I need help to I need help to remember some stories. I need to. <laughs> I don't have those people. Well, it's people a, few beers, a few beers, Jason. We usually get some of that <laughs> okay, shit going, okay? okay? We've okay. got beer at the store. Okay. There's more at the store. Okay. Um, but those, it's funny. We're talking, we're sitting around the other day and we were talking with some friends and I started talking about. The, the one year, the Hal Kerner, myself, Ian Torrance, went to Hard Rock. And I'm like, hey, you guys want to come out, and, you know, come out for a couple of weeks at Hard Rock? We'll camp. And we're like, yeah. And the, thing, the shit that happened on those two weeks of just the three of us guys shooting shit, hitting golf balls. Hal and, Hal and Ian are terrible golfers. Terrible. Mm-hmm. Just they can't hit the thing 20 yards. Uh, <laughs> we had our little tea time at 7 p.m. When the sun went down to hit balls into the spot, we'd go retrieve them. Hal would always have to go to the spa to get a shower, you know. <laughs> he shows up shows up with a tiny little pad in the tent with nothing else. And Ian and I have our trucks dialed out. We're styling out. And Hal shows up. I'm like, Hal, take my tent, dude. Here's a pad for you. You know, Kerner always flew and always, was always on the fly. Um, always shows up late. But we just did stuff that was just funny, you know. And I think people would really, like, laugh at those stories at times. There's so many things we did. The breaking my arm at Zane Gray. 
Yeah. You know, little stuff like that. Um, I just want that stuff to flow in the book. Like that's, I just don't, I'm not a writer, you know? So it's, I have a guy that ghost write, was a ghostwriter for a lot of it. And he did a great job with a lot of stuff. But it's just I just need to weave those stories into it. Yeah, that's a hard. I, that's a hard. hard weaving the stories into it is what I'm missing. I have the stories. I've got a million stories of things that we did, but I have to weave those in properly. And that's just I do need a little help with that. I need someone to sit here, like whether it's yourself or someone else, and just be like, you know, taking all the notes down and say and put one chapter together at a time instead of trying to fill in the whole thing at once. Yeah, you need a proper co-author. Yeah. Somebody yeah. who you could sit somebody who you know or trust or right. who you trust a lot that you can sit down with and say, "Okay, here's all the crazy shit that happened." And then you'll call all the people right, and right, you get right. their stories and, and they, that's they, the shit that I haven't done. And that's yeah. the hard part is I got to call Ian and tell him to talk talk about that yeah, what happened. You know, yeah, those things. Yeah. Those are those are is a lot of effort involved, you know. You can't just like scribble something on paper and say that's good. Uh, we're getting yeah. this done, man. Okay, I'm All gonna right. I'm gonna connect you with some people <laughs> who can bring these stories to light because I will read the Speed Goat book, book for sure. The Trail and Ultra Running community needs a book of all the things that you've been. Well, through. I don't think there 100%. are many books out there about elite runners or past elite runners that have stories of their funny times. I mean, no, not really. You know, I mean, I'm sure there's a few, but I just I've lived a weird life, man. I've I've been really lucky. I've done a lot of shit that. Just, I don't know, sleeping in my car, running races, sleeping in our cars, you know? We used to sleep at the start lines. Yeah, yeah. Used to go to run Zane Gray for 300 bucks, you know? Drive down, sleep in a car. Just, people don't do that anymore. All know? right, we're going to get it done. It'll come out 2021. All right, All right. Let's, see, let's see what happens first. The 100 mile street comes to an end. Yeah, or yeah. Or the book gets published. All right, that's a good point. That, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see which one of those I'll try to get, first. I better get that 100 mile win then. Oh, man. <laughs> All right, man. Well, good luck to you for the rest of the season. Yeah, yeah. I do hope that that streak continues to remain alive. You know, I know you're yeah. kind of off playing a lot, but I think there's a lot of people rooting for you out there. Well, in fact, I, I know there's a lot of people rooting for you out there. I do think if I if I can run put together a healthy couple of good solid months of training, I can get myself back to whatever speed I got left. And I'm not saying super speed or it by any means, but I have I've had a hard my mix of training lately has been really off and on. I have a left knee issue that bothers me once in a while and it, it's not allowing me to go be aggressive going downhill. Yeah. I can run, I can do it, but I don't want to feel that, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. that's, yeah. um, that's kind of holding me back a little bit and it's been getting a little frustrating because April and May this year, or I'm actually more like March and April, I had, uh, uh, a calf, calf muscle issue where I really couldn't run more than like 20 miles a week. When you're 52, you lose your fitness a little bit faster. <laughs> Coming back takes even longer. <laughs> so, yeah. oh, I can go run up White Pine, which is up in here at Snowbird, 2,500 foot climb, four and a half miles. Typical ice is ding, 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 bounce to the top in 55 minutes. Now I get to the top in 115, yeah. you know, because I'm hiking, I'm hiking more. But uh, it's just when you start to lose that that punch in your step, it's it's it gets harder to come back. And the motivation is harder because it's becoming harder, you know? Like yeah, that, yeah. that curve is getting steeper for me. And uh, I hope I can level the curve a little bit. Um, no pun intended, I guess. But uh, we'll see. I mean, I'm not dead yet. I'm not dead yet. I'll just say that. I'm not dead yet. So <laughs> I'll keep trying. I mean, I, I will. If Hopefully, if Superior happens, even if I don't win Superior, which I don't likely think I will, but uh, that could spark a fire. Yeah. You know? I mean, let's hope that it does. I mean... 
December 31st is the end of the year. You that's know? right. Just remember that. It's oh, not man. It's not September 20th. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's you December 1st. So, you know, December 31st. So, we'll see. Well, however it pans out, man, we'll be watching with all of us. Yeah, yeah. Right on. Yeah. <laughs> it's cool that people are still watching. Yeah, man. Thanks for your time, Carl. Yeah. Thanks very much, Jason. Great time. And there you have it, folks. What do you think? That was a fun one. As I mentioned during the intro, I love hanging out with Carl. He is an original. You always know what's on his mind. He is authentic as it comes and a heck of a runner to boot. I do wish him the best. I hope this book comes together. I would be the first one to buy it. I would buy 10 copies and give it to my athletes and give them to my friends. Carl, good luck with that. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you to all the listeners listening to this podcast today. I really appreciate the heck out of each and every one of you that tuned in relentlessly every single week week to this podcast. If you have not had the chance to do so, head on over to Apple Podcast and give this podcast a rating or a review. It helps out a lot. It means a tremendous amount to me personally. I appreciate the heck out of it. And as always, we will see you guys out on the trails.